Death is defeated. The king is alive. Amen? Is that true? Right? If that's true, it changes absolutely everything. Good morning, Maple Grove, and welcome to week six of our study in Matthew's Gospel, The King and His Kingdom. Uh, our text today is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and let's get to it. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And before I read, I, I just want to remind you that the, the words that I'm about to read are alive and active, that they're sharper than a double-edged sword, that they penetrate even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And this book here is literally God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, corrected training, and righteousness so that the man or woman of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. I got to take my glasses off to see. On and off, on and off all day long. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. God, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. God, we know that there's no mountain you cannot move. There's no sea you cannot part. There's no wall you cannot tear down. There's nothing that's broken that you cannot put back together again. There's no hurt that you cannot heal. No stronghold that you cannot overcome. And God, I pray today as we dig into your word, God, that our hearts and minds will be open, that we'll lean in. Because the reality is, Lord, that whether we acknowledge it or not, the battle is on. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to do some introductory work before we dive into our text. I want to talk about some key terms, some key connections, and then some key truths. And, and, and I want to start off by defining some words that at first you may think, really, we really don't need to define. Yet it's important to define them because we all need to be on the same page as we dig into our text. So word number one is the word sin. Someone say sin. sin. And again, you might think that it's not necessary to define the word sin. However, the Oxford Junior Dictionary recently took the word sin out of their dictionary. And the reason they gave for taking it out is because the word sin has fallen into, quote, disuse and is no longer recognized by the younger generation. 
and explained that there are other synonyms that could be used to place the word sin, and some of them are words like indiscretion, lapse in judgment, accident, mistake. And yet those are not the same words. The Bible doesn't say that we are all mistakers, right? It says that we are all what? We are all sinners. The word is a different, it's a different word. And also, when we talk about sin, we're not talking about a lapse in judgment. We're not talking about simply making a mistake or an accident where we tripped and fell. Like, that's not how the Bible defines sin. Instead, the Bible defines sin as a transgression against God, where we do something that God said not to do, or we don't do something that God said to do. Yes, sin is not just a transgression against yourself or against some cultural norm. It's a transgression against God. Luke 15, the prodigal son, remember what he said? I have sinned against heaven and against you. David, in Psalm 51, when he fessed up about his sin with Bathsheba, said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, the Bible gives us a a word picture of sin in Romans chapter 3 where it says that sin is missing the mark. Someone say, missing the mark. The The idea is like God's character, God's glory is like the bullseye on the target. And we all are shooting for that target, but none of us are able to hit the bullseye. Romans 3 says that all of us have sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of God's character. We've all sinned, so we're all sinners. Like, look around the room. You are in a room full of sinners. Again, I I know our world doesn't like the word sin. It it makes our world very uncomfortable. In fact, there's a trial underway in Finland where a 61-year-old grandma of seven who's a medical doctor is on trial and facing two years. And one of the charges is she actually took a picture of a verse in the Bible and put it on Twitter. And the prosecutor said in one of his arguments that the Bible cannot override Finnish law and that the use of the word sin is harmful. I don't know if the word is harmful, but I know that sin itself is harmful. It makes us God's enemies. It incurs a debt that we can never pay, and our only hope is the mercy and grace of God found through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so every week we we gather together and we take communion. And what we're doing in the moment is we are recognizing the fact that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We're recognizing that, that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could never pay. We're recognizing in communion his sacrifice and the Father's love. We're recognizing that it is grace alone that saves us. Saves us from what? Saves us from the wrath of God. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid those wages when he died on the cross. So the word sin is a very important word. Amen? The second term is the word temptation. Someone say temptation. temptation. Now some of you are like, wait, wait, didn't we just talk about temptation? No, we talked about sin. Sin and temptation are different words. They're not the same thing. To be tempted is not to sin. 
And I think it's very important for us to understand that because for some of us, we treat it like it's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Jesus, as we just read in Matthew 4, was tempted and yet was sinless. In fact, Hebrews 4 says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So temptation and sin are two different words. Now, culturally, we tend to define temptation as this draw or desire to violate something that we personally committed to. And so the word doesn't tend to get used as a violation against God, but rather a violation against our own personal commitment, standard, emotion, feelings, or desire. For example, you might be on some kind of a diet. And regardless of what kind of diet that is, Weight Watchers, Atkins, Nutrisystem, Noom, or whatever, more than likely, a large cookies and cream Chick-fil-A milkshake is probably not on it, right? And so, that would be a great diet, right? And we might say, well, you know, I'm on this diet, and I got to tell you, it's really been hard this week, because every day when I drove up and down 29, and I saw Chick-fil-A, I was tempted to get a milkshake. But listen, drinking a Chick-fil-A milkshake is not a sin, amen, right? Thank God, that's not a sin, right? But again, that's often how we use the word tempted, but that's not what we mean when we're talking about it in the context of temptation in the Bible. Instead, we're talking about a violation, a transgression against what God has said. We're talking about this pull and desire to violate the will and the ways of God. Not just something we arbitrarily decided on. Get it? Good. Uh, Check out these quotes about temptation for a guy named Erwin Lutzer. They're pretty good. Temptation is not sin, it's a call to battle. Each temptation leaves us better or worse. Neutrality is, is what? Is it possible? I like this one. We cannot say no to temptation without saying yes to something better. Third, ter- third and final term is the word Satan. I'm not going to ask you to say that one because I don't like that. Whenever I type Satan in my notes, I always put a small letter, right? It tries to force me to capitalize, but I'll fight it. I will not capitalize that sucker's name, right? Always a small letter, all right? He's a scary guy. Um, The Bible describes Satan as a real intelligent being who's behind all of the evil in human history. Like, he's the one behind the Holocaust. He's the one behind the atrocities of slavery, behind the genocides, behind the war, behind the ethnic cleansings. And he's the one behind sex trafficking. He's behind the 40 million people who are enslaved right now. He's behind the 63 million children who lost their lives in the womb. He's behind all the hatred and violence and racism and anger and conflict and division and abuse and revenge and ugliness that so dominates our world. Now many today think it's intellectually naive to believe in the devil. So they think of him more like a metaphor for evil than an actual human being, actual being. Kind of a cartoon character, like this guy right here. From Casper, if you remember Casper, the friendly ghost, right? You know, this is, his name was Hot Stuff, right? Oh, he's just, oh, he's, just, he's so cute. Look at those little horns. Yeah, he's cute. And Satan is totally fine if that's how you and I think of him. See, there's two cultures, C.S. Lewis said, where the devil operates most freely. 
One is a culture where the devil is overthought, like he's underneath every rock, right? Everything happens, it's the devil, right? You sneeze, well, the devil made me sneeze. You didn't do what you're supposed to, well, the devil didn't, no, sometimes you're just an idiot and you did something wrong. Don't blame the devil, you made a bad choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an idiot, no, kidding. <laughs> if you're busy with us, sorry, you're not an idiot yet. Okay, the other culture is one where the devil's dismissed and not believed in. And in Western culture, that dismissing, not believing in, and underestimating the devil is the, is the path we've taken. Check out this Barner survey of Christians. Check this out. Satan is not a living being. 40% of Christians strongly agree. 70% agree somewhat that he's not a living being. Only one in four actually believe that Satan is a living being. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think it's more intellectually naive to dismiss the idea of the devil than actually believe in him. Get it? Good. That's our terms. Now some key connections. Okay. Um, um, one key connection in this temptation of Jesus is the baptism of Jesus, right? That takes, the temptation takes, right, takes place right after Jesus was baptized by John the Jordan River. Remember, he was baptized, the heaven split open, the spirit descended, and God said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Okay, connection. There's a connection between Jesus' temptation and the temptation that took place in the garden. Between Adam, Eve, and Satan in Genesis 3. And keep in mind that Scripture often refers to Jesus as the second Adam. But listen, where Adam failed in a beautiful garden, Jesus was victorious in a barren wilderness. Amen? A third connection is Israel's wilderness wandering. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 days and failed. Jesus prayed for 40 days and 40 nights and was faithful in victory. And listen, every verse that Jesus quotes after he says it is written is from the book of Deuteronomy, a book where we see Moses preaching to and preparing God's people to leave the wilderness. Now, a few key truths. Number one, we're all involved in a spiritual battle. Someone say spiritual battle. Spiritual. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Finally, be strong by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. Who are we fighting? We're fighting the rulers, the authorities, the world powers of this darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Next truth, our enemy is formidable. Be alert. In a sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I got a picture for you here. Okay. That's a warthog. And let me tell you, I can guarantee you that this warthog was not singing. Akuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. 
Akuna Matata ain't no passing phrase. It means no worries for the rest of our days. It's my problem-free philosophy. Akuna Matata, Akuna Matata. I say Akuna, you say Matata. Okay, and and and, and I do that not because I sing well, because I don't. Because I say, what was that about? He sang some song. And I don't want to be that stinking warthog, right? Next key truth is Satan attacks us when we're most vulnerable. We have an enemy. We got to know a strategy. See, a lion does not want to work any harder than he has to. And here are some times when you and I are more vulnerable to temptation after a spiritual higher victory, right? Jesus is just baptized, right? Heaven split open. God speaks. I call that a spiritual high, Right? After the exodus, what happened? They came after them, right? Elijah had a great victory on Mount Carmel. What happened? Came after them. You became a Christian. Satan came after you. See, he wasn't too concerned with you when you were on his team, but when you changed jerseys, right? It, it, was, it was game on. It was battle time. All right? Another time is when we are tired and weak. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. After 30 days without food, you're tissues in your body begin to break down and you begin to absorb muscles. In other words, you begin to die. Raise your hand if you've ever gone one day without food. Keep them up if you've gone three days. A week. And comas don't count, okay? <laughs> three weeks, four days. I mean, most of you are hungry right now. You've only been fasting since breakfast, right? Man, he's still in the introductory. When is he going to get done? I'm starving, right? See, Temptations often come when we are exhausted, stressed out, and overwhelmed. When we're physically and emotionally spent. Ever been there? Are you there now? Then get ready. He's about to come for you. If he hasn't already. After spiritual high, when we're tired and weak, and when we are, what? Alone. Jesus was alone in the wilderness. Eve was alone in the garden. David was alone on the rooftop. We are much more vulnerable to temptation when we are alone. Get it? Good. The final key truth to keep in mind when tempted is that the stakes in this battle are eternal. Someone say eternal. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. James says this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin, when it's full grown, that word is only used two times in Scripture. Where's he at? There's my Greek dude right there. You love this man coming for you, right? I always, he, he, he says words so much better than me. It's the word apataleo, 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 apataleo. Right, so like a song from Queen, all right? But it's only used one other time. It's in Luke, sorry, Luke chapter 13, verse 32, right? Apataleo. Pharisees say, hey, Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. He says, go tell that fox, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. On the third day, I will reach my goal. Apotheleo. See, Satan's goal is your death. 
His goal is your spiritual death. Stakes are high, your death. Stakes were high, even higher for Jesus. Listen, if Jesus would have failed in the garden, in the, in the wilderness, it would have been game over. There would be no sinless sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. Get it? Good. Now we're ready for the passage. Okay? And don't worry. You know, we'll get out of here almost on time. And, and uh, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by who? He was led by the Spirit. And I read that and, and I, I'm like, say what? <laughs> the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted by the devil? False. But it's in the Bible, so it's, it's true. Uh, what did Jesus teach us to pray? He, he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, which infers what? That sometimes he does lead us into temptation. But listen, James makes it clear that God does not tempt us, but he does allow us to be tempted. And there's a difference between being tested and being tempted. God tests are to reveal and refine. God's tests are to reveal and refine what is inside of us. Satan's temptation are an invitation to sin. God never invites us to sin. Satan always invites us to sin. But listen, here's the deal. While God will never tempt us himself, he will allow us to meet our enemy face to face. And I know that testing and being allowed to be tempted are usually not a good time. But the truth is that there is no testimony without a test. Now, some of you are actually in the test part of your testimony right now. Don't rush. Don't worry. It'll get worse before it gets better. Just hang in there. But you have to go through the test to get the testimony. There's no message without a, without a mess. And some of you are in the mess part right now. It doesn't feel so good. But again, God, while he's not causing it, he's allowing it. And that's going to be part of your story. Part of what he will use to enable you to help other people to change lives and to draw you closer to himself. So while Satan is tempting Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4, it is God who is allowing it because it's part of the plan. That Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And here's just a picture of that lovely place he was being tempted. That, Wow. But not want to be there. So let's look at these three temptations to see if there's something that we can pull from them today. Temptation number one. After fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. Now when you read Mark and Luke, they both indicate that Jesus was tempted during the entire 40 days. And so what we have recorded in Matthew 4 are the final push. You know, the shock and awe attempt of Satan, right? And I think he's like, okay, I have this guy right where I want him. He's hungry. He's weak. He's tired. Hey, I broke the first Adam. I'm going to break the second Adam as well. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What an understatement. Tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And notice that Satan begins by questioning the identity of Jesus. If you are, if you are the son of God. Because he knows that if you get Jesus to question his identity, 
If he can get Jesus to question who he is and what God said, then everything else down the road is going to be a lot easier for him. And don't miss the connection and the contrast. In Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized and God says, this is my, this is my son. In Matthew 4, the devil says, if you are the son. So we see right out of the gates is that the devil comes along and he questions what God has said. Did God really say you are the son of God? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And listen, your enemy, the devil, will use the same attack plan on you. He will get you to doubt God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say you have to love your enemies? Did God really say you have to forgive those who hurt you? Did God really say you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Did God really say husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church? Did God really say that all your sins are forgiven? Did God really say that if you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just and will forgive you of all sin and all unrighteousness? Did God really say? Listen, many times the evil one will try to get you to doubt what God has said about you. Question how God feels about you. How God sees you. To question your identity as a son or a daughter of the king. Because if he can get you to question who you are in Christ and getting you to do something wrong, sinful, and evil against God is a whole lot easier. Get it? Good. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And as James says, Satan appeals to our desires. He tempts us by what we already want most with what we feel that we are lacking. For Jesus, he's lacking food, so he's tempted to where he's lacking. And this is how temptation comes. We're vulnerable to what we're lacking. So if you're lacking intimacy, or maybe you're dealing with some loneliness, you're lacking companionship. So, okay, that's where you can expect an attack to come from. And I want to point out that the devil is not tempting to do Jesus, tempting Jesus to do something that on the surface is sinful. And I think that's important. I mean, and what I mean by that is that there's nothing sinful about eating bread, especially at Outback when they keep bringing that great bread to you again and again. Give me another loaf, another loaf, right? I mean, I mean, Jesus one time, right, he, he took a few loaves and then fed people what? Bread. Nothing sinful about eating bread. And this can get confusing, right? I mean, his first miracle was turning what? Water into wine, and that was okay to do. His first temptation is turning stones into bread, and that's not okay. Head scratcher. But listen, here's the deal. This is important. Temptation is not necessarily the what. Instead, it's the when and the how that gets us into trouble. And that's a temptation for Jesus. It wasn't the what, the bread. It was the when and the how. Are you tracking with me? Let me give you a parallel. When it comes to sexual sin. So sexual pleasure is a gift from God. His idea, he thought it up. Beautiful gift from God. But there's a how and there's a when. So God gives us this gift in the context of marriage, husband and a wife. And so the temptation is not the what, it's the how and the when. The temptation is to say, hey, you can experience this pleasure and you don't have to worry about how God says or when God says. You see? 
And this is oftentimes how temptation comes. It's not the what, it ends up being the how and the when that the tempter uses to hook us, entice us, and drag us away. Satan is tempting Jesus to take things into his own hands. Jesus, you don't need to wait on God to provide for your needs. You do it. You turn these stones into bread. Besides, if you really are the son of God, why is he letting you starve out here in the wilderness? Jesus, the need is legit. You do it. You do it. Take in your own hands. Don't wait for God to provide. And brothers and sisters, he does the same to us. Instead of waiting on love, he says, how about lust? It's here and it's now. Instead of working things out with your spouse, he's offering your way out with maybe somebody else. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, I am choosing to trust God to meet my needs in his time and in his way. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God provided food for his people in the wilderness at the right time, when they needed it, and how much they needed it. And where is Jesus? He's in the wilderness. Listen, Jesus is saying, hey, you know, God provided for them in the desert, and God will provide for me now. God can be trusted to meet my needs and my desires in his way, in his time. I will not do things my way. I will not use my divine power to satisfy a fleshly or self-serving need or desire. He never did, right? I was trying to think. If you find one, let me know. But I couldn't think of one time where Jesus used his power for himself. It was always for other people. He resisted Satan by quoting Scripture. Understand, for every, every lie the devil feeds us, there's a truth of God that can free us. Every lie he feeds us, there's a truth of God that can free us. Jesus said, if we know the truth, it, it will set us free. So we have to be in this book. You know, how much, how often is it in you? It has to be in you before you can ever say it is written. So Jesus takes Satan's temptation and filters it through the word of God. It says, nope, that's not what I need right now. He says, yeah, you're offering me something that sounds pretty good, but it's not what I need. It's not what God says. And even though I may, it may not necessarily be the worst thing, it's not the best thing because what I need right now is God. I need God more than I need food. That's why I'm out here in the first place, not to feed my flesh, but to feed my spirit. So I'm waiting on God. I'm trusting him to provide my needs. He uses scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and hey, here's how I picture this. Kind of how my mind works, right? Like the devil thinks he has him, right? Like in basketball, right? He's coming in for an easy shot. And Jesus quotes scripture, and he finds out that scripture is the ultimate shot blocker. Check out these shot blocks from an NCAA tournament a while back. Not here, not now. This is my house, his house, not here, not now. This is his house. I love it, right? He's coming up for the layup. And he quotes scripture, and he just, I love it. Anyhow, kuna matata. Second temptation, I love it. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, about 500 feet above the Kidron Valley. 
If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. In other words, okay, Jesus, you said you want to live by God's word? All right, here's one for you. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus is tempted here with pride. You know, the temptation to live your life to prove yourself instead of to please God, to live your life to try to impress people. Satan tempted him to jump off where? Off at the temple. Why didn't he have, why didn't he tempt him to jump off somewhere out in the wilderness? See, it wasn't really about the jump, but who would see him jump, right? Hey, hey Jesus, I, I can see that your ministry is off to a slow start. Let's pump things up a little bit. Let's do, do something sensational that will wow and draw the crowds, right? He had him jump off at the temple. And again, this doesn't seem relevant, right? I've never stood on the balcony that, like at 50 foot high and, and was tempted to jump off. However, it's a little bit like the Junior high school boy, he's tempted to do something ridiculous and stupid. Well, I'll show you, right? And then he tried to do a 380 on the bike off a roof, right? I'll show you, right? It's that pride thing. It's being too concerned with other people think of you. And listen, when we take the bite of that temptation, that's what's going to drive us. That's what's going to often drive our self-defeating decisions. And sure, we don't throw ourselves off a high ledge, but maybe you throw yourself off into your work because you're trying to impress people with how important you are. Or maybe you throw yourself off into making money because you're trying to impress people with how successful you are. Or you throw yourself into your appearance because you want to impress people with how good you look. Or you throw yourself into your education because you want to impress people with how smart you are. Let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves, but what ends up happening is that they become, they become our identity. They become what's most important to us. And when the devil tempts Jesus, he does so by quoting, and this is scary stuff, by quoting Scripture. And he gets it right. Now, he takes it out of context, but he gets it right. In church, we need to sit up and take notice because we're going to see a lot more of this in the future of the devil quoting scripture. That's how he's going to tempt us in the 21st century. Listen, as more people have more platforms and as information becomes more widely accessible, we're going to have more and more voices that will take something that the Bible says, that scripture says is wrong. They'll say, hey, what, what it actually means is not what you think it means and what always people thought it means. Things like what do you think the Bible says about sexuality and gender and marriage and life in the womb? Let me just twist that a little bit so that you can justify feeling okay with doing whatever you want to do when everybody else says it's okay. And that's how the enemy tempts Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying in verse 7, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Quoting Deuteronomy 6. When Israel was test, tested God in the wilderness, is God not among us? Then God, prove yourself. Give us some water. Question, why do, we, why do we test God? Well, it comes down to trust. We test what we don't trust. So Jesus comes back and says, don't, don't test God, trust God. I, I need to keep moving. One more temptation, number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
He says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Notice he didn't say, if you're the son of God, because he doesn't even want them thinking about God right here. In other words, he's saying, here's a shortcut. Let's just skip the whole cross thing. You can have the kingdom without the cross. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I will not worship you, Satan. Now, have you ever been tempted to worship Satan? Maybe not directly, but there's a good chance that you may have been following the golden rule of Satanism. Do you know they have a golden rule too? You know what their golden rule is? Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. If you don't understand King James, that means, hey, do whatever you want, right? When you do whatever you want, you're actually living by the golden rule of Satanism. Away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord God and him only. Jesus said, this is all about worship. It's about idolatry. It's about who or what you put your trust in. You show me what you worship, who you worship, and who you put your trust in, where you put your hope, and I'll show you where you're going to be most tempted, where you're most vulnerable. Like if you worship comfort and security, if that's where you put your trust, if that's where you put your hope, then you're really going to be tempted to feel anxious and fearful. If you worship pleasure, if that's what you put your hope in, if that's what you live for, then you're going to be tempted with lust. If you worship money and possessions, like that's where you put your hope, that's where you put your trust, you'll be tempted with discontentment and envy and jealousy. If you worship what other people think of you, like you put your trust in other people's opinions, like they determine whether you have a good day or a bad day, then you're going to be tempted with pride or insecurity. It all comes down to who or what we put our trust in. It all comes down to worship. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that God knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you? Do you trust his timing? Do you trust his promises? Do you trust his provision? Do you trust that he loves you? Do you trust him? He's tempted three times, and each time he says, it is written. Now, here's the connection. I, I want to make sure we get this before we're done. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted, but in Matthew 3, Jesus receives the weapons he needs for the battle, right? He receives the word of God and receives the spirit of God. See, the spirit did not lead Jesus in the battle before Jesus had the weapons of God's word and approval and of the spirit. And you and I, we have those same weapons, right? We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. And then verse 11, then the devil left him. The devil what? The devil left him. And angels came and attended him. And for some of you in this room who are watching online, those last six words, and angels came and attended him, are why you're here. Because you need to know that help is on the way. Because you need to know that if you hold on, if you hang in there, if you don't give up or give in, if you hold on to your help, hope, help is on the way. While there's a time for testing and trials and temptations, it does not last forever. And if we hold on to our hope in him, the devil will flee. Help is on the way. It's February the 27th, 2022, and God is saying, trust me in your trial. Trust me in your temptation. I'm sending help. So hold on to your marriage, even though things are messed up right now, because help is on the way. Have faith in that financial hardship. Help is on the way. Fight through that depression, even though you do not feel like it, because help 
is on the way. Uh, don't give in to that temptation to do things your way. Help is on the way. Don't become weary in doing good. Help is on the way. And you reap a harvest if you do not give up. Amen? Help is on the way. And angels came and attended him and brought him steak and lobster. Mm. Asparagus, right? Mm. Chocolate cream pie for dessert. He says, man, I'm glad I didn't turn those stones into bread. This is good. I waited on God. Just one last thing. A, really, a real last thing. Huh? You'll be all right. Now, we're reading the Gospels about the temptation of Jesus. Now, how do we know about it? Because at some point, Jesus said, hey, guys, I want to tell you about something that happened to me. I don't know how it went down. Maybe they're having a meal. And as the bread is passed, Jesus is reminded, and he says, hey, guys, I want to tell you about a time the enemy showed up, and I was really tempted. You were tempted? Yeah, I was tempted. Jesus was honest about his temptation. I mean, that's the only reason we know it happened. And if Jesus can be honest about his temptation, then you can be honest with your temptation. Some of you receive the word of God and you have the spirit of God, but you've not been honest with anyone else about the temptation you're dealing with. And because you've not been honest about the temptation that you're dealing with, temptation has become much more tempting to you. And the enemy knows that if he can keep you to your, keep, keep it to yourself, that temptation becomes much more tempting. You feel like you're weak because you're being tempted. You're not weak. Jesus was tempted. And if it was not weak for Jesus to be tempted, it's not weak for you to be tempted. But you need your weapons. You need the Word of God and the Spirit of God. They're your hope in this battle. And you need other people. You need to make sure that you're honest with a brother or sister in Christ about the temptations that you're struggling with. Amen? Yes, the battle is on, but in and through him, the victory is won. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and pray as a praise team comes up. Very encouraging scripture. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. Like everyone's been there and done that starting in the garden. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Like there's some things the devil, if he tempts you on that, you would fail like that. And God says, I'm not going to let you do that. I know if you tempted Steve that way, he'd be done. And I'm going to limit what you can do because I am faithful to my son. God is faithful and not let you be tempted beyond what your ability, but with each temptation also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, would you stand as we pray? Father God, we humbly come into your presence. God, we're grateful that we have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. We're grateful that we have an advocate that pleads our case before the Father. And God, we know that you do not want us to live in darkness. You do not want us to be enslaved by sin. Uh, you do not want us to be defeated by the evil one. You want us to stand strong against temptation. And God, I, I pray for those right now who even hear that and, and think that there's really no hope for them to overcome. God, help them to see that it's a lie of the evil one. 
God, we know that in you we have the victory. And God, I just pray that we would embrace your word, lean into your spirit, and that we will become a place, God, where it is safe for us to share our struggles so that we can defeat the enemy. God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for overcoming temptation and being an example of how we can do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. In your presence, in a grace so relentless, by perfect love, in the arms of heaven, in a peace that lasts forever, sinking deep, mercy seat, wide awake. And all my heart is yours. Removed, I breathe you in. I lean into your love. Amen. Oh, your love. <clears throat> Amen. Lost, you pursue me. Lift my head to see your glory, Lord of all. Your beautiful. I find shelter, captivated by your splendor. Wide awake, drawing close, stood by grace, and all heart is yours. Amen. is all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, hear my only cry to know you all my life. Love so deep is washing over me. Your face is all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, my one desire. Lord, hear my only cry to know you all my life. No wake. I'm drawing close, stirred 
Take a seat. As we take communion together, we, as I said earlier, we're recognizing that, that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we can never pay. We're recognizing his sacrifice. We're recognizing the, the love of God. We're recognizing that it's grace alone that it saves us. In his death, Jesus defeated death, sin, and the grave for us. And that night in the upper room, um, Jesus, he, he took bread and he, he broke that bread and he says, this bread represents my body. My body broken for you. The body of Christ. Take and eat. Thank you, Jesus. And that same night, he, he took a cup, and he says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant, covenant of mercy and grace, salvation, living hope. The blood of the new covenant, this represents my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of your sin as far as the east is from the west. Beloved Christ. Take a drink. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your grace and love that surrounds us. We thank you that though we're in a battle, you go with us. Your word and spirit empower us, and you've given us brothers and sisters to stand beside us. So God, help us to be confident in this struggle knowing that greater is the one that's in us and the one that is in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.